Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Heretofore he said, You've asked nothing in my name. Ask, get this now, ask that you may receive that your joy may be full. That's God's desire and design for each one of us, that we be filled with his joy. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can come to this place with one another, a place of inspiration and encouragement and acceptance and support and affirmation and forgiveness and grace and all those wonderful things that are not our property. They all emanate from you through one another. And we look upon you as the source of every good thing that happens in life. And we look upon you as the source of interpretation for every bad thing that happens with the capacity to take it and make out of it something positive and something beautiful and something good. We thank you, Father, that you can redeem anything and everything and anybody and everybody. That you can make all of us to be better than we are. And we come here asking you to help us do that today. Not one of us stands here, Lord, proud of our own attainments. Not one of us comes here bragging about our own moral achievements. We do not come wearing our spiritual merit badges. We come recognizing that every good thing that's happened in our lives emanates from you. And so we come to praise you. And dear God, we pray for those who are hurting this morning, some who have tears in their hearts, if not in their eyes, some who are with physical problems, some who are facing decisions this week about life, about surgery, about business, about family, so many things. Dear Lord, just be present as you've promised to be and speak to each other that personal word we need to hear. And God, give us the capacity to listen and the disposition to respond as we come to thank you and to praise you and to pray together in Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to have the reading of Scripture and prayer led by a couple of Buckner's buddies, which we do every Sunday during this month. So I want you all to stand, please. Everyone stand. Nathan Smith is going to come and read God's Word, and Christy Plummer is going to lead us in prayer. So I want you to listen to Nathan, and I want you to listen to what he reads because it's the Word of God, and then to pray with Christy as she talks to the Lord with us and for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but, but have not love, I gain nothing. Remain standing as Christy leads us in prayer. Please bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful church. We thank you for letting us be here to worship with you. We thank you for your love and caring for us. Bless us with the message which Beckner brings to us. In the week to come, help, help each of us to bring your message and live by your will. These things we pray in your name. Amen. Our little granddaughter, Avery, 18 months old, uh, loves books. Better than toys, she loves books. 
and she has her own special volumes. One of her favorite books is Go, Dog, Go. Now, how many of you are familiar with Go, Dog, Go? Okay. It is a classic. If you haven't read that recently, why, come over and you'll hear me read it to her. Another one of her favorites is Goldie. And if you know Goldie about the little bird, well, I'm giving you some literary guidance here today. Goldie. Now, she cannot pronounce that real well. It's Doldy, that's Goldie, Doldy, and Do, Dog, Do. And she will come with that book, and she calls me Bo, and she will bring that book and say, Bo, Bo, and head for my lap and want me to read that book to her. I read that book to her. You're going to wait, and you're going to wait, and you're going to wait, and everything else I know about is going to wait, and the only thing that's going to interrupt my reading that book to her is the second coming, and we'll both go together in that. Uh, and, and she knows it. I mean, you try to cut that short and she'll, she'll back up. And if you're reading too slow, she'll get to turning the pages and uh, get you to moving along. It's just wonderful. It's the most delightful thing that can nearly ever happen to you. And uh, I like to hear old, old stories and old books. We were in the, in the bookstore the other day and came across that, that book that my folks used to read to me about the little train. You know, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. That was first published in 1930. Uh, that was 10 or 12 years before I was born, but I understand that that was a very popular book in those early days. It, uh, I love the old stories, and they say something to me. And there's an old story in the Bible, old in the sense of time, but timeless in the sense of meaning. My favorite story. And there are times when I go back to my favorite stories. I need to go back to my favorite stories. I like to go back to the old hymns, some of the old places. You remember Isaac went back and dug the wells that his father Abraham had dug before him. They'd gotten filled up and cluttered with debris. The Philistines had contributed to that. But Isaac said, we need to dig again the old wells. We need to go back and redig some of the old wells. I want to do that this morning with my favorite story. I preached every Sunday night all summer long back in the old garden chapel when we had that, and some of you will remember it. I preached over 20 sermons on this story of Jesus. I didn't look at any of those, notes or manuscripts. I just wanted it to speak in a fresh and new way to me, and it has, and I pray that I'll be able to communicate something to you of what God has impressed me with. I want to read you the story first. I want you to listen. Just pretend you've crawled up in God's lap because he told it. And it's a story about home. It's a story about relationships. It's a story about attitudes. It's a story about consequences. It's about grace. It's about love. It's about forgiveness. It's about anger. I mean, it, it has a whole catalog of human emotions in it. So just relax and listen. Jesus tells it. Once there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that will come to me. So he divided up his property between the two of them. Before very long, the younger son collected all his belongings and went off to a foreign land 
where he squandered his wealth in the wildest extravagance. And when he had run through all his money, a terrible famine arose in that country, and he began to feel the pinch. Then he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him out into the fields to feed the pigs. He got to the point of longing to stuff himself with the food the pigs were eating. And not a soul gave him anything. Then he came to his senses, and he cried aloud, Why, dozens of my fathers hired me and have got more food than they can eat. And here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have done wrong in the sight of heaven and in your eyes. I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. Please take me on as one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still some distance off, his father saw him, and his heart went out to him. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. But the son said, Father, I have done wrong in the sight of heaven and in your your eyes. I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. Hurry, called out his father to the servant. Fetch the best clothes and put them on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and get that calf we fattened and kill it. And we will have a feast and a celebration. This is my son. I thought he was dead. And he's alive again. I thought I'd lost him. And he's found. And they began to get the festivities going. The fiesta going. But his elder son was out in the fields. And as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants across to him and inquired what was the meaning of it all. Your brother has arrived and your father has killed the calf we fattened because he got him home again safe and sound. But he was furious, refused to go inside the house. So his father came outside and called him. Then he burst out. Look, how many years have I slaved for you and never disobeyed a single order of yours? And yet you've never given me so much as a young goat so that I could give my friends a dinner. But when that son of yours arrived, who spent all your money on prostitutes, for him, you killed the calf we fattened. But the father replied, My dear son, you have been with me all the time, and everything I had is yours. But we had to celebrate and show our joy, for this is your brother. I thought he was dead, and he's alive. I thought he was lost, and he is found. I believe the greatest story ever told. If you'd come to me 40 years ago when I first started preaching, trying to preach, and he told me I could only have one story of Jesus to preach on for 40 years, I'd take this story. Good Samaritan would run a close second, but I'd take this story. 
think it tells more about God, more about us than any other story Jesus ever told. And it is about us. We're the two boys, and God is the Father. The parable is misnamed. It should not be called the parable of the prodigal son. It's the parable of the loving father. The son's not the hero. The father's the hero. The hero of the Bible is not Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Isaiah and David and Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and Peter and Paul and Timothy. The hero of the Bible is God. God is the hero of the Bible. All these other folks are just bit players on the stage of God's grace. It's His story. He's the hero. So it's about us. I want to say just a few things that come to my mind. On just two or three little words that have big meaning. The word rebellion. First boy, rebelled. He got an itchy heart. Itchy feet. The world looks so appealing to him. And he succumbed to the lure of the far country. Doesn't have to be far away. It's not a problem of miles, it's a problem of attitude. Far country is not far away. It's just outside on the city limits of your own heart. For the far country doesn't begin with our feet, it begins with our heart. That's where it starts. The far country. It's always there, it's right around us. It seems to be closer to us now than ever before. The power of evil is so, so overwhelming, so awesome. Whatever else you can say about the devil, he's certainly a success at his chosen profession. He works at it. And he's working hard to lure us away from the God of grace and the God of glory and the God of love. And he'll work on us at any age and at all ages. We need to be aware of the fact. I'm not being morbid. I'm just telling you about the fact it's out there. You ought to know it's out there. You need to be aware of the fact that it's out there. And those of us who may have experimented with it in varying degrees and in varying distances need to let it be a caution light of reminder that there is trouble out there away from God's grace and God's people and God's home. Never minimize the power of evil in our world. And it's at work. It's at work to try to disrupt and distort your home and our homes. It's at work to try to distort the most precious people in all the world, our children. And you and I as God's people need to be forewarned and forearmed. And we need to be aware of the fact that Satan is alive and well on planet earth. And he wants you, not because he gives a flip about us, but because he wants to hurt God. How do you hurt a parent? The way you hurt me is to hurt Mike or Harriet or Steve or Debbie or Lisa or Avery or Julia or Martha. I'd give my life for any one of them just like you would for your family. And the devil knows that. He knows the way to hurt God is to hurt you, to get your life off being misspent, dissipated, lost in a far country. Be on guard against him. We're told in the Bible that the devil is as a roaring lion 
walking about, seeking whom he may devour. He's present, and he's evil, and you need to be sensitive to it, aware of it, to pray for God's strength for yourself, for your family, and for your church, and for God's people in a very evil world permeated by depravity. The lure of the far country. I I see it happen. You can almost watch it happen in some people's lives. They seem to balance right and wrong. They seem to be balancing right and wrong in their minds. And they fling down the right and choose the wrong on the chance that it will make them free. And I would remind you this morning That when the mirage, well, that's what it is, when the mirage of temptation is lifted, we'll see sin as a barren desert, a desolate wilderness. Its wastes are endless. Its waters are the waters of bitterness. Its shade is spiritual darkness. Its trees bear only deadly fruit. Its singing birds are but the bats and owls from the caves of doom. Its murmuring breezes are but the hissings of fiery serpents. Its beauty is artificial. Its promises are false. Its guides are liars. Its reward is a terrible and lonely death. For in spite of the fact that there are those who in the name of theology would endeavor to change the word of God, the wages of sin is still death, and the soul that sinneth, the Bible says, shall surely die. The far country is there, and it's destructive, and it's lonely. Nobody gave him anything. They didn't even give him the time of day. What a penetrating phrase. Not a soul gave him anything. I can promise you, my friend, and you can verify it in your own experience, I'm sure all of you in varying degrees, when you get out away from God's people and God's family and God's area of control in your life and trouble comes, you're in it alone. The devil and his crowd won't show up when the wages of sin finally brings about its inevitable consequences. You're on your own and it's lonely. It is long. And he got homesick for somebody who cared. You ever been homesick? I mean, really homesick. Have you been so homesick that you were really sick? I mean, not just want to go home, but to the point of where it just hurt. I mean, it just killed you inside. I've been that way. Have you ever been that way? Hold your hand up. It's okay. Yeah, you're among a lot of folks. Listen. Listen, we are made for relationship with God. We're made to be a part of God. We're made to be a part of God's family. We're made to know Him as Father. And when we're not in that kind of relationship with Him, we're sick. 
We're homesick. We hurt inside. And the boy said, I'm going to correct this. He came to himself. Man, that's a great phrase. That's the fulcrum. That's the turning point to the beginning of any new life. Well, a person's finally willing to fess up to the fact that I'm in a pig's pen. I'm in the pits. I hit rock bottom. This life isn't working. I'm just a realist, a pragmatist. This isn't working. I can't even eat what the pigs eat. I'm going home. And he started home. Made up a speech he was going to make to his father. And he started home practicing that speech all the way. Probably started practicing it on those pigs. And he came home. And then we come to the word I want to talk about for a moment. And that's the word run. His father saw him. And he was still a great way off. And his heart went out to him. And he ran. He fell on his neck. And he kissed him. He saw him. Long before the boy saw him, father saw the boy. The father started running. Aristotle once said, great men never run in public, but Aristotle didn't know Jesus. Jesus said, God runs. Well, this is a picture of God. We're the two boys, but the father is God. And God saw the boy when he was yellow gray way off. He started running. Heart went out to him. Loved him. Hugged him. Kissed him. And the boy had not confessed anything. There had been no confession of faith. The boy might have been coming home just looking for more money. We don't know. The point is that love is so spontaneous that it just explodes with excitement. That's my boy. Terrible the way he walks, even though he has a little limp now, and the clothes look terrible, but... My God, that's my boy! He came off that front porch without touching a step. Robes flowing, running down that road to meet him. He threw his arms around him and began to kiss him, hug him. Boy started to make a speech, and the father just interrupted him, didn't let him finish the speech. You know, the boy said, I want to come home and work my way back in. And he never got to say that. The father didn't let him say that. Why? Why do we think that we've got to do the work to get back into relationship with God? He's already done the work. He's reaching out to us. He's coming to us. He's pursuing us. He's loving us. What he wants from us is a response. The confession follows that engulfing of God's love that surrounds us. My favorite comedian is an Irish comedian by the name of Hal Roach. I read his books and have his tapes. He's fantastic. And uh, he tells about Casey. Casey was walking down the road. He was going to catch the ferry down there at the dock. And 
As he was walking along, he saw that the ferry was about four to six feet from the dock, and so he started running and just as fast as he could go. And by the time he got there, the ferry was out from the from the day. He didn't know whether he could make it or not, but he just made a valiant leap. He went running out to the end of the dock, and he jumped head first out there, and he landed, barely landed on the deck of the ferry boat, and he slid and he skinned himself, you know, and he got up, and he started brushing himself off, and captain was standing there beside him, and he said, Whew, I barely made it. The captain said, Casey, the boat was coming in. <laughs> the boat was coming in. It wasn't pulling away. Listen, listen, listen to me. God's boat's coming in. He's coming to you. He's running to you. He puts His arms around you. He holds you and kisses you and welcomes you. Who wouldn't confess a God like that? Who wouldn't? And listen, that's what church is supposed to be. If we're to be like Jesus, it means we're to be running wherever there are needs, wherever there are problems, wherever there are hurting people. Make a difference where they're coming from or who they are or what they've done or how far away they've been. They may have been in the depths of the far country, but we're to run to them. That's the mission of the church. We're not here to be ministered to. We're here to minister. Jesus never told anybody to go to church. Jesus never told anybody to go to church. But he told everybody in church to go to everybody else. That's our commission. To go, to go, to go. Thirty-five pastors and I were with Robert Schuler at his invitation about two months ago. We're going to be back next month. We're just we're not starting another organization. The Lord knows we have too many of those now. We're not starting another denomination. We're just 35 pastors in churches much like this who have a ministry of concern for other people who are trying to reach out. Eleven different denominations represented in that meeting. We just get together and share and pray and talk and get ideas from each other and encouragement from one another. A lot of them are people I've known or known about. Some of them I've known, some I've known about. And so we, had, we just had a great time. We'll be back together again sometime in May. And they're going to do that a couple of times a year. And I asked uh, Bob Schuler sitting in the meeting, I said, I've quoted you, and I don't know whether I'm giving the quote correctly or not. I'm attributing it to you. That the church ought to find a need and meet it, and find a hurt and heal it. And he said, well, that's a great statement. I've made it, and I'm not real sure where it came from. I may have originated I don't know. I said, whoever gets the credit, it's what the church ought to be. Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. That's why we have a lot of the ministries that we have in the life of this church. It's not just to give people something to do and another meeting to attend. It's a way of running out to meet people at their hurting point, at their needy point, wherever it might be. And the day we cease to be, I believe with all of my heart today, this church ceases to be the kind of church who is prim that is primarily concerned 
about others, whoever they are and whatever they may be. The day we cease to be that, you can go out there and write over the front door of the church the word Ichabod, which means the glory of God has gone. For He will have departed when we cease to minister to the least and the lost and the lonely and the last. God runs to meet need, and so do we. God runs to hug hurt, so are we. And when you come, you come into the house of forgiveness. The house of forgiveness. The house of grace. Listen, 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 listen. We don't come home to a penitentiary. We come home to a party. We don't come home to a reform school. We come home to a reborn school. People who are being made new by the loving grace of God and the caring and praying and sharing of other people. We don't come home to be incarcerated in a religious system. We come home to be incorporated in the body of Christ. We come home to a party, a fellowship. And forgiveness. Now I must add a word of biblical caution. We do not come home to a house of moral license where you bring the pigs home with you from the far country. No, sir. We leave the pigs in the pig pen. We get a new coat on. That doesn't make us all new, but it does mean we have a new start. We have a new beginning. We don't bring the pigs with us. And we ask God to help us leave the swine-like attitudes in the pig pen where they belong. We are not being coerced by any kind of religious institutionalism, but we are being compelled by a new kind of love, and that's God's love in us. For it is the love of Christ that will constrain us to be different people in a different relationship with God and one another, leaving the world behind us and moving on into grace and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, you can reject this if you want to because the older boy did. And he did it because he was mad. And there's nothing that will keep you out of the grace of God more than anger. He was mad at his father. He was mad at grace. He was mad at forgiveness. He was mad at fun. He was mad at the party. He couldn't even call his brother brother. You hear that? When he was talking to his father, he said, This son of yours? And the father said, Wait a minute, this is your brother. He couldn't call his brother brother? You can't call your brother brother? Not in the family. Anger will keep you out. Hostility to God will keep you out. Just come to yourself and say, I'm coming home. I'm not coming home with any agenda. I'm just coming home with my own needs. And ask for God's grace and God's forgiveness. But the boy missed it. The older boy missed it. He stayed outside. He wanted to stay out there and slave away, thinking that somehow through his own attainment, he could earn what can only be received as a gift. Paul picks up the same theme in a different setting 
And with this I close in the great 8th chapter of the book of Romans. All who follow the leading of God's Spirit are God's own Son. Now what are the attributes of the Spirit of God that Tommy referred to a moment ago before he sang? Reminded us of the Spirit of God, the breath of God, the pneuma of God. What are the, what are the ingredients of the Spirit? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians. Well, let me read this. I've read from Phillips this morning. The Spirit, however, produces in human life fruits such as these. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the, that's the nature. Those are the qualities of the Spirit of God. So when we become sons of God by being adopted by His grace when He envelops us in His love, then He begins to reproduce that same fruit within us. That's what He's saying here. All who follow the leading of God's Spirit are God's sons. Nor are you meant to relapse into the old, get this, slavish, Now what the boy said, I've slaved for you all these years. Nor are you meant to relapse into the old slavish attitude of fear. You have been adopted into the very family circle of God. And you can say with a full heart, Abba, Father. That's an Aramaic phrase, literally translated, My Daddy. Tender, loving words that a little child would address to his or her father. And our Heavenly Father puts his arms around us and we say, My loving daddy. Martin Luther commenting upon this did not say, My Loving God. Paul did not say, My loving Creator. My loving Sustainer. My loving King. My loving Daddy. And Luther added, You cannot love an abstraction. You can't. You love a person. And the person of God has run down the road to meet you today. However far you have been, or even if you've been working around the Father's house, slaving for years, but have never known the touch of grace, He comes out to you today and says, Come on in to the party. And know me. Not as a taskmaster, not as an employer, but as a dad.